You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. China's image issues means that you're going to see more plastic water bottles in your shoes. Welcome to The Knock-On Effect. Welcome to The Knock-On Effect. This is where we start with a thing you know and end up in a strange place. And this week, of course, we are going to start in China with all the things that are going on there with their image issues. Joining us today, we have Alex Rosenberg. Welcome to The Knock-On Effect. (laughs) Just to reiterate that you are welcome. Welcome. To this knock-on effect. Anyway, so what we have going on basically is that China has image issues, to say the least. Um, One study showed that China's air pollution is so extreme that in 2015, it contributed to 1.6 million deaths per year. And that's the Berkeley Earth uh, Research Group. Is is that now, like, what are the causes of death? Or I don't want to get... Well, there's, I mean... Pollution, so this is air pollution, whether it's um, factories or autos or all sorts of other – any sort of burning of, of chemicals mm-hmm. um, creates air pollution. Uh, and that's been – actually, there's another study that came out today that it um, has significant impacts on cognition. So mm. um, it actually can contribute to a year less of education if you're exposed to a lot of air pollution. Well, it's a quality of life issue too. I mean I was, I was in Beijing in – by 2006, and it was just it was just shocking how how full the sky was of of smog. Yeah, and so that's uh, certainly that affects you know quality of life. And then you know China hasn't just been having issues with its own pollution; it's actually been importing the world's pollution hmm. in some sense. So the way to look at this is that they've been um, a huge importer of waste of basically recycling and and other garbage um, for the entire world. And a lot of people don't realize this, that there is actually this huge trash trade hmm. going on uh, where a lot of Western countries have been shipping their trash to China just because it's been the most cost-effective way to do it. Um, and then in uh, China right now, they've accepted nearly 300 million metric tons of America's scrap alone over the past 25 years. Um, and so, But it's not just... The U.S. Is scrap like the politically correct term for yes, garbage? Yes, scrap. <laughs> and that's actually a key point to bring up is that there's actually a lot of controversy over what you, words you use for waste. Um, I was using the word waste. And when I use the word waste, I mean both trash 
and recycling. Mm -hmm. um, I talked to people in the industry and they said that you should use the word scrap, but the fact that the word waste has been used over and over and over again means that it's sort of a, a hard battle to fight. It's like one of those things, though, that there's no good term for because it's not a good thing. Well, right? I guess like... it, what it comes down to is, are you reusing it? And so that's mm -hmm. where scrap has a connotation that you are reusing it. Um, it is going to get turned into something else. And so that's where the money is. That's where the money's to be made is if you can actually repurpose it. Putting something in a landfill and burning it, that's not very profitable. Right. Um, and, so, and if someone's trashy, it's worse than if they're they're scrappy. Scrappy is a good oh, quality. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Trashy is... That's a, that's a good point. Uh, but that's the thing is that we've been, the U.S. has been sending a lot of its trash as well as recycling okay. to China. Um, but oftentimes it's in the form of we're sending it to them in the form of recycling, but there's also some trash mixed in that probably shouldn't be there. Um, and just another interesting tidbit, um, at least the woman that I spoke with at the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries, okay. she said that ch in China they don't have a word for scrap. And that's... You, you think they'd have like uh, 50 words for it, like the Eskimo word for snow, considering all the... All that they import. Well, and this actually becomes a bigger point later on, which okay. we'll get to. Oh, good. So... Basically, what's been happening is that uh, right now about 72% of discarded plastic has ended up in China. Huge business, uh, U.S. paper and plastic exports to China for scrap, top $2.2 wow. Why it's such a big business, we will get to later. A key thing to talk about right now is the news that's been going on, which is the fact that China said no more. We do not want any more of your scrap. Uh, and actually, to clarify, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. They actually started banning 24 materials in January of this year. We're finally starting to see a lot of the implications of that now um, that we are halfway through the year. Um, mm. So they basically said that, that um, certain post-consumer plastic and mixed paper they weren't going to accept and deemed that other materials like uh, cardboard, certain plastics, scrap material could only be point. 5% impure. So let's say you had a whole bunch of plastic uh, or newspapers or whatever that you were sending to China for them to recycle. Uh, if there was, let's say, a banana peel in there or mm -hmm. a plastic bag that didn't belong or, um, I don't know, some ketchup or something else, or, or that, that juice bottle that you drink wasn't completely washed out. That would you have to wash out your recycling? You're actually, as I learned, you're supposed to wash it out because those food particles actually clog mm. up the machines and make it a total mess. Mm. And so having any of those impurities, um, if it gets to China, they're not going to accept it. And so that's become uh, a problem that a lot of U.S. recyclers cannot handle. Like they can't – it costs so much more in manpower to sort through all the different recycling so we'll get more into this, I know, but I want to just draw a distinction here because there's China, the country, and then there's the companies in China that are dealing with this scrap. Um, so it's interesting that the country is saying, basically saying to these companies, you can't buy scrap anymore. It's not really, because it's not like China, the country was uh, was dealing with these products. And that's actually become a big source of contention. Um, this, I have a quote here from Adam Minter. Uh, this is from his book, Junkyard Planet, where he was in China and he said, according to the China Plastics Processing Association, in 2006, China was home to roughly 60,000 small-scale family-owned workshops devoted to recycling plastic. And so hmm. 
this is a lot of the plastics recycling was actually small it's family owned businesses. Like, very quaint, but also like very. I don't know if modern is the right word, but it's like there's like a family. This family makes shoes. Like, oh yeah, this, this family this, recycles. Yeah, um, it's actually as he describes it, Adam Minter. It's actually a very dirty industry, and so this is part of China's um, effort to try to clean up its image, um, and and also so it's part of this effort called, and pardon if I'm butchering it, Yang Laji, which is foreign garbage. It's a campaign against foreign garbage. So they don't like the idea that we're importing America's garbage mm. and we're America's dumping ground. Um, and so this has actually been an issue that China's been struggling with for a while. One of the things that they did in the early 2000s was they banned e-waste dumping, uh, which is basically electronic waste. It's very profitable business because there's a lot of metals in a lot of electronic waste that are pretty valuable. Yeah, there's like I used to always Copper. read those articles about how there's gold in your computer exactly. monitor that you can... There's a lot of different materials in there, and so it's actually very profitable to take it apart in in China. And so China banned it, though, because guess what? It, there was a lot of toxic fumes. What would happen is that a lot of it would get burned into its... Um, and, and so that would release a lot of chemicals. Um, and then a lot of ch- child labor was doing this as well. Mm. And so it just kind of created this nasty, uh, nasty environment. So... Uh, they banned that, but guess what happened? There was a huge black market for this stuff. So even though China said we don't want any more electronic waste, uh, the waste was still coming in, um, and a lot of the industry was still two, happening. Two, two people would meet behind a, in a dark alley at night and exchange a million tons of garbage. I mean, how do you yeah, how do you yeah, keep this under wraps? Well, you know, this gets into bribes and other uh, things. So you, you get I into see. that. But in East Asia alone, it's estimated that e waste the e waste black market is worth three point seven five billion dollars. So. Hmm. Using that as a comparison to what's going on right now, you have all these families that were so dependent on this recycling market. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if something similar to the e-waste black market popped up for recycling. Hmm. So that's our knock-on effect number one. And I should mention, this week we're doing something a little bit different with the knock-on effect where it's a hub and spokes model. We have five different knock-on effects that we're going to cover in each one in a totally different area or industry. So the first one we have is this black market that's likely to pop up for recycling. And eventually we will get to... Shoes? Shoes, yes. Um, That'll be our fifth knock-on effect that we have at the very end. Now, you can look at the recycling market in China as this dirty, noxious, you know, wasteland, um, as it's been described, that they need to clean up because it is pretty gross. But on the other hand, there have been a lot of positives from uh, China's growth um, in, in the recycling industry. So... The flip side of this is that China in the 1980s was undergoing a manufacturing boom and they had very few options for raw materials. So there was this kind hmm. of interesting dynamic. So state-owned uh, natural no, resources. Garbage is a raw material. Yeah, it's no, but, but, but it's it's important to think of it like that because they needed plastics to put into their right into whatever oh, they were manufacturing. Because so like wood is like the raw material for old school products like paper, but for new products like plastic toys, plastic. They needed plastic. And so the dynamic was interesting because uh, there were state-owned natural resource monopolies in China, but they supplied state-owned manufacturers. And so small businesses had trouble getting a hold of the plastics that they needed. So 
in the 1980s, some very smart entrepreneurs set out and they started importing a lot of the world's used plastics. Um, and, and it makes sense because you had a few factors going on in China. They desperately needed material. That was one. Mm. And they had a lot of cheap labor. And so that cheap labor made it pretty easy for them to disassemble you know, the old, you know, waste or recycled materials or plastic or whatever else and turn it into new materials. So they could sort through that um, pretty, pretty easily. Okay. So, I, I mean, there's something I've been meaning to ask, which is that recycling, when you say recycling is a dirty business, it is a little ironic because I think of recycling as something that, oh, you know, I kind of just want to throw this Gatorade bottle in the trash, but uh, save the planet. I'll put in the recycling, you know, Little do I know it's being put on it, by the way, put on a ship, which is like, you know, it has to be schlepped over there. Right. And then has, is it being burned down by children? Like, uh... It all depends on how you do it. It can be a very, very dirty business. And so Adam Minter, as I mentioned before, he described these places where they were recycling materials as basically wastelands. I mean, it's, it's really disgusting. Well, they're literally wastelands, so that's fine, yeah. but... Well, but it's, Maybe you know, it's a, you have... I, I think of like, you know, when you think of recycling, you think of clean. there's like some whistling music in the background and like a, a son has a smiling face yeah. in it. Yeah, it's like a PBS. And so that's where it really does depend <laughs> how you go about doing it because China wasn't throwing technology at it. They were just throwing human laborers at mm. it. And so, yes, is there a better way to recycle? Absolutely. Uh, is what China was doing the best way? Mm, probably not. And so that's where... It is a dirty business, and in a lot of cases, it was just cheaper to send everything to China. But yeah, don't assume that recycling is absolutely clean. Don't assume that it's more energy efficient because, yeah, putting it on a boat and shipping it to China is not certainly not so, more energy efficient. So does the U.S. do any of its recycling here? or yes, like okay. absolutely. So the U.S. has actually quite a bit of recycling uh, plants that actually process the materials. A good chunk of what we have does get sent to China, mostly on the West Coast because it's just easier to send things from the West Coast. Okay. Um, so actually this whole change is mostly affecting states like California. Now I feel so much better about Oregon. myself that my yeah, trash right. is being burned by a child. <laughs> yes, yes. And Washington State um, are all heavily affected by this, more so than plants maybe on the East Coast. Now, what's interesting though is that China still has a demand, a huge demand for a lot of these raw materials. That didn't go away. They're still manufacturing as much as they did before. Now, on the one hand, you do have a growing middle class, and so they are consuming some more of their own products. So there is like a domestic recycling industry mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. But it is still— Oh, interesting. Right, because— uh, Yeah. They, they but, yeah. So they don't need as much, but it, there's still a huge shortfall. And so they still need a lot of raw materials. So guess what? They're starting to import— New materials, and they're doing that in the form of virgin. It's actually called virgin plastics, so that means new plastics. Yeah. But called, I don't know, virgin just sounds a little weird. Oh, come on. Extra virgin olive oil. Okay, fine. You know, uh, uh, virgin land. Virgin airlines. Um, Virgin bride. No, (laughs) that step too far. So what they've been doing is they've actually been turning to the petrochemical industry in Houston and other places uh, to to bring a lot of their plastics in. And actually, the woman I spoke with, um, Adina Adler at the ISRI, which is the Institute for Scrap Recycling Industries, mm-hmm. she said that um, China has increased its um, 
imports of plastic by as much as 30 to 40 percent over the past year. So this has been a huge industry because they, they need. Oh, so so instead of bringing in. Oh, that's interesting. So they're, so they're no longer bringing in U.S. trash, but they are still bringing in the raw material of plastic. They're just doing it with virgin plastic rather than recycled. Yeah, that's the other term. I was trying to figure out what the yeah, other term is. Yeah, or scrap be. plastic. Sure. I guess is the technical term. Uh-huh. Right, but it but there's it's it's just I, although I guess it is also cleaner because they're not burning anything there. Okay, so it makes sense. Yeah, so in that way it works, but and it's also great uh, business for um, a lot of the petrochemical industries because <laughs> there's a lot actually more plastic coming on online. Um, this year, next year, and that's because um, they've been building more plants. There's been a lot more investment in this. Actually, um, Dow Dupont um, has been rushing to find markets for the millions of tons of new production um, amid an industry binge, basically. Hmm. Um, and so it's now looking like China is going to be the one eating up a lot of these new plastics that are coming online. So that's knock-on effect number two: is that China is buying more virgin plastics. Okay, so now for the next knock-on effect, we need a little bit of background, and that's how this industry actually works. So let's say um, I put my recycling in the recycling bin. Someone comes and picks it up. Mm -hmm. Either it's your local municipality or a local company. When I was in college, there was a guy who used to – I don't know if steal is the right word, but we had – you know, we would put our recycling out in Providence, Rhode Island, and – this guy would come with like these gloves and he would just like pick up all our bottles and like put them in a in a you know garbage you get, bag you get and the put five them cents. in his car. Yeah. You get the but five like cents. it was his it was his job. It was really interesting. Well and so I asked um uh, the woman You at, see people do this in New York, by the way, like out in the streets, if you're walking around the streets at night, you see people like collecting all the plastic bottles yeah. because you can get money for them. Yeah, and actually that's been a fairly profitable business in some ways. Like mm. people it's it's free garbage. And so there is absolutely... A v- I mean, I always thought it was, you know, like... So I had this <laughs> big argument with my roommates because I was like, that's messed up. Like, we should not let the guy do that. He's basically, you know, he's stealing from the city because we're not getting a bottle deposit for us. We're actually just recycling it. And it's not like he's combing through our garbage, picking out the, re- the recycling. Like, he's just taking something that the city would have taken and basically charging the city five or ten cents for it. Well, in another sense, he's organizing it in probably a better way than you would have done. Not really. It, it was already in the recycling bin. He Wait, just but, picked... but there were other things mixed in in that recycling. So he was separating all the bottles, uh, which is what so. you see a lot of people in New York doing. You see them going through actual trash cans yeah. and picking out the, the water bottles and whatnot right. uh, to recycle those. So so in some ways, they're doing what people in China are doing as well, uh, which is separating and— Well, they're not burning it down into raw plastics, but— Okay, maybe not that, but— Although, why don't why don't we do that? I, I guess we don't want to do that. But why don't—I guess we do do it. Yes. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> basically how, how it works, you have a local municipality pick up or a small company— Or pick, a guy with white gloves driving a white car. Very creepy. Uh, it was a little creepy because he's basically in our backyard— Anyway, God, I haven't have, thought about this in so long, but it's just it's deep, deep in my in you. psyche. So you have somebody pick up the recycling. That guy, yes. <laughs> and then what happens is they bring it to a recycling plant mm-hmm. or um, they bring it to or they ship it to China, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they get paid for it because it is a material that's used. And so there is a value to that material. And then um, it gets processed and then it gets broken down. And then it gets molded into other materials, and then a manufacturer pays for that. So there's several steps in this process, but 
the municipality or the company that's collecting it does get a nominal fee for the plastics that they are selling off in some ways. And so this is this is critical to the system and how it's set up because right now what you have is the shipping industry actually getting affected by this as well because right now we have a fairly big trade deficit with China. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of materials are coming from China to the U.S., specifically in the forms of, uh, you know, plastic, manufactured plastics and goods and whatnot. Um, but there's very little going back to China. Mm-hmm. And so you have a lot of empty ships going one way yeah. and a lot of full ships going the other way. So uh-huh. the price dynamics are not the same. Rather than having an empty ship go back to China, um, carriers are much more willing to offer discounts to Americans to bring whatever they want on that ship and uh-huh. give it back to China. Um, and so that's where it's easy just to throw some trash on it or throw some recycling or throw whatever you want on it and send it to China. So it's so funny, though, because it's just like China like makes these goods. They send them to us in the U.S. And we're like, uh, what do we have to send you? Bop, bop, bop. Uh, garbage. How, yeah. about, how about the same thing? Back to you. Yeah, no, it's it's almost <laughs> after it's already been destroyed. Yeah, it's, it's you send it back us fresh. It's almost like doing your dry cleaning. You know, you just send it back. They send it to you. You you, you wear it. You get it dirty. You give it back to them. They send it to you. And so in that in that way, it's like us sending China's goods back right. to them. It's Amazing. become this kind of bizarre cycle that that's been created. Um, and so now, in some ways, yeah, China's upending it. It's interesting though because now we're sending a lot of our uh, recyclables to other places, India, Malaysia, uh, Thailand, a lot of other South Asian countries are picking up the slack, so to say. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say that they are picking up the slack, though, because China was larger in terms of recycling um, than any of the next 10 countries wow. combined. So they were a huge um, aspect of this chain um, of recycling. I don't want to get too meta, but it's interesting that a lot of our knock-on effects center partially around China, and it's, it's often true of China, but it centers around when one country or company or group of people make a disproportionate share of something in a way that we didn't realize, because then, you know, a small change to Madagascar can do huge things for the vanilla industry. Right. Small change to Oregon or to, you know, so it's it's just, it's it's funny the way, or, or actually to, to Turkey was that example, because, but when when the global economy is like, Something that you take for granted is actually really produced by one group of people. Such a small change can affect all these other things. And that's where it gets into global supply chains and actually how fragile right. our system really is. Right. I think people don't necessarily realize that. So in this case, when you're sending your scrap to, let's say, Malaysia, it actually costs a lot more because there aren't as many boats. Oh, coming back with a finished product. Yeah. But, but as we send more scrap to Malaysia and they find things to do with it. Maybe, you know, the, the raw materials get cheaper. Maybe they'll be the ones sending us. Right. And so there is there are thoughts that this is going to lead to a ma- manufacturing boom in sure. uh, Southeast Asia. On the other hand, there are, it's funny, day by day, I've been seeing more and more reports of um, places closing off, accepting different types of scrap. And so um, Thailand has closed its borders to some scraps. Uh, Malaysia, it's been every single day I've seen a new country closing off. And because they actually don't have the capacity to deal with as much scrap that's needed to recycle. So for example, several ports in Vietnam um, are actually suspending imports of plastic waste at the end of the month because of uh, a backlog 
of, of scrap. And then you have Malaysia, which is currently reviewing its policies for plastic scrap imports. And then Poland, which is actually the second largest destination for UK garbage and mm. recycling, um, has also said it's cracking down on waste imports following concerns about a trash mafia that's been linked to. I mean, it's dozens of uh, mess with fires, actually. With trash mafia in Poland. Yes, exactly. So there, there, there's been all sorts of issues, even though there's a wealth to be gained from recycling used materials. Mm-hmm. It's actually something that a lot of countries don't have the capacity for. Well, right because now. it's one of those things, like to get a little, you know, neoclassical economics on you, it's like classic negative externality where, you know, I can make money by burning plastic or, or burning, you know, an example you gave in the show was Christmas lights just get burned down until all you have is the copper. Right. And so it really does come down to how you do it. So an easy way is just to burn the stuff. And get right. the materials you but, want out of it. But there's also much cleaner ways to do it. So for the Christmas lights, you could actually grind them up into tiny, tiny fractions of, of materials and then actually put them in a water uh, separator. And so you have the copper going to the bottom and you can actually pull that together. Right. And so that's a much cleaner way to do it. Right, right. But but I'm, but I'm saying that if I'm, you know, Fat Stanislav as part of the... Polish trash mafia, you know, for me, I can just burn down the Christmas lights and make money from it. But there's a big negative externality on the whole rest of the country and that I'm not actually taking in all the costs because the costs include all the pollution that, that you're... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The, you know, this this kind of uh, difficulty of sending your trash to places reminds me... Do you know the story of the, uh, the garbage barge, the Long Island garbage barge from the 80s? No. So... My grandmother, uh, Shirley Perlman, researched this or uh, uh, reported this story for uh, Newsday, uh, the, the Long Island newspaper. And basically, it was this barge that left um, Long Island and it tried to drop off trash basically everywhere in the world and everyone kept turning them down. So they went down to like North Carolina, they went to here and there. They got as far as Belize and they were turned back from Belize. And finally, the trash was incinerated uh, in Brooklyn, and the ash was buried in uh, the Long Island town where the boat originated. So I actually have, used to wear this shirt growing up because my grandmother had someone gave her a shirt. But like, it was the garbage barge that went across the world trying to find a place that would take its garbage. And uh, so, wow, yeah, sounds like that's what's happening on a global scale now. Yeah, that's yeah. basically a little mini example of of the larger world we live yeah. in now. And then we have the next knock-on effect, which we've kind of been alluding to uh, as well, which is this is going to obviously have an impact on recycling companies. So the top two solid waste services companies in the U.S., that's Waste Management Mm. and Republic Services, they both recently pulled back profit projections in their recycling divisions based on China's new policies. Mm. So Republic actually now loses money on most of the recycling scrap and now sells overseas. So I have a quote here from Richard Copeland, who is uh, vice president of municipal sales at Republic Services. He told the Wall Street Journal that, quote, at this point in time, we have zero volume going to China. We are still able to move material, but our economic model is completely upside down. Hmm. And so this has basically been upending a lot of these companies, um, a lot of the municipalities. Uh, We have... um, parts of Idaho, Maine, Pennsylvania, trying to figure out how they're going to pass on higher costs. And they're looking at the changing legislation uh, to be able to pass on higher costs. Hmm. It's looking like... Right, because eventually, like, 
we're just going to have to pay more because the, it, the 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 plastic we're putting in the recycling just isn't worth as much, which means we effectively have to pay more for using it. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. And so um, it's looking like that cost will actually double uh, from wow. what it is now. And so trying to look into that system. Then, of course, you have other places that are stockpiling it. So places in California, um, they've just been holding on to a lot of the recycled paper that they don't really know what to do with because there's no place for it to go, but they don't want to just send it to the it's landfill. It's like a that's what, that's what the Orthodox Jews do. Oh, really? They just yeah. hold on to it? Well, so this is actually full of fun facts today. But um, So you can't throw out any, uh, dispose of any paper that has God's name on it? Oh. Or it says, you know, God, yeah. you don't use God's name, but you know what I mean? And so they, so the, we have these treasure troves of data from um, not ancient, but, you know, early medieval civilizations where people would, you know, every business contract said, you know, it's almost like, you know, written in the year of our Lord, mm-hmm. whatever it was. So they saved all of these contracts. It wasn't just religious texts. And so they found this Cairo Geniza that was just full of all this raw material, every, all these papers from the day because they wouldn't throw it out. Wow. Well, okay, so they're sort similar. of... Similar. Yeah, similar. All right, I just Calvary really like that story, doing. I think. <laughs> it's an interesting story. Yeah. But it's uh, an interesting part of this fact, though, is <laughs> that Californian officials are actually concerned that improperly stored bales of paper could become hazardous in wildfire season. Mm. So it's actually causing, you know, this is not stuff that we're going to be using for archival, you know, research. This is stuff that's actually potentially causing... Could be like the Library of of Alexandria. No, the the Library of uh, Sacramento. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Except it's it's actually potentially uh, becoming hazardous. Alexandria, that was a big tragedy. Not, you know... Okay. You know, we lost Sophocles plays. We lost... Oh, right. Yeah, so something like that. Okay, you're filled with analogies. Anyway, the next part is that a lot of places are actually just taking a lot of the material straight to the landfill. So we have one um, recycler in in Oregon who sent all of its recycling to landfills for the first few months of the year. Now, <laughs> that's... I feel bad for those people in Oregon washing out their... You know, Gatorade bottles or whatever. Yeah, they, all the time that they're, they're putting they're, in. should say they're Pinot Noir bottles and yeah. only for it to be thrown in the landfill. Exactly. And so that's where it's – but even if it is going straight to the landfill, a lot of the municipalities are still not making the money that they used to on recycling the plastics because they would get paid for this. So no matter where it goes, they're still losing money in some mm. way, shape, or form. So that knock-on effect is basically that you're going to see a lot of – different municipalities and companies, whether it be waste management or Republic services, have to rethink their business models. Yeah. And that is reminiscent of something that, and this is not a historical fun fact, uh, a little bit historical, but sure. in a um, Adventures in Finance podcast uh, I did earlier this year with Grant, we had Louis Gav of Gavacal who talked about how China's spare capacity was enabling all of this um, you know, I don't want to say I don't want to say a waste, especially with how much we've been using it. But it, it allows all this overinvestment around the world, and all of these tech companies have been basically utilizing spare capacity from China. I mean, if, even being in a you know now we're here in our own beautiful office. At the time we were in a WeWork, and even WeWork, I mean, Uber, Lyft, like all these companies are basically taking spare capacity and doling them out better. And we see that as, oh, good, technology allows us to dole out spare capacity. 
his argument is that part of what was going on is that there is so much spare capacity because China was making so much. And this is sort of the other side of that coin is that China was, by just throwing so much labor at so many problems, um, was making the world more efficient. And now that China's more thinking about it itself, um, the world, it, it threatens to make the world a lot less efficient. So we're going to pay more for getting our trash out. We're going to pay more for all these things as China changes its mindset. Right. And But that's in the short run for right now. Uh, I would imagine, though, in the long run, we are going to have more capacity to recycle our own materials, to right. transform materials. And we would throw technology at the problem, which would hopefully be more efficient than having human laborers sift through yeah. absolutely everything. And so this actually brings us to the final knock-on effect. Mm. Ta-da! Shoes. So I want to just recap. We have China no longer buying the world's recycling, which means that there's a glut of recycled materials looking for a home. So prices of recycled plastic have dropped, making it far cheaper for companies to use recycled plastics. And I, I do want to make clear, recycled plastics is pretty much a commodity. It's it's very mm. standardized. And that, that price is usually, actually always, at a discount to virgin new plastics. Well, yeah. Yes. So that makes sense. But it, it's it's there aren't like, um, you know, from this one province, it's not like wine or something like that where you have all these like different types of plastics or something mm, like I'm that. detecting notes of uh, burning toxic waste. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, so you – and actually you do have different types of plastics, but it is it is very, very standardized. Okay, so on the other hand, we uh, have just – a, Just a hint of burning tires. Uh, I think uh, – am I wrong? Is that a – Perhaps a, a bottle cap uh, from from a Stewart soda bottle. Uh, and, oh uh, gosh, yeah, that would be. Um, I would not want to be a sommelier in that in that waste industry. Scrap sommelier. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, something like that. But sorry to interrupt you. You're you basically talking about how uh, it's a all this scrap together is a commodity. It's all considered the same thing, and it contrasts with the virgin plastic. Yes, exactly, and it usually trades at a discount. Now, on the other hand, we have one million plastic bottles around the world are sold every single minute. Hmm. And all those plastic bottles, eventually, if they're recycled, get turned into pellets. And so that's the commodity, basically, you know, the commodity of these pa plastic pellets. Um, and then those get downcycled. So downcycled means you're probably not using them for water bottles again because it's not the beautiful, clear plastics that you would get. Mm -hmm. You're probably turning them into lawn chairs and the like. So things like carpeting actually has... Um, plastic fibers, bags, packaging, um, synthetic fabrics for clothing. So actually, demand has been helped there from the athleisure boom. <laughs> and then, of course, you have shoes. So what we have going on with shoes... No, I, I want to hear all about what's going on with shoes, but let me ask you this. When the lawn chairs and the, the you know, Under Armour clothes uh, get sent back, like, what's the next... So, so when, when this... It, how long does the down cycle go? In other words, let's say it's made into something that's that's kind of shoddy, and then it it gets uh, made like, again, and then does it make the same thing in the same cycle, or does it go lower and lower and lower until you're making time. like you know whatever? Um, you can recycle a lot of fabrics. Um, so once something's turned into a fabric, you can recycle it. Um, but usually these things have a lifespan of like one recycling time. You don't uh. usually you don't don't usually keep recycling. They are creating new um, or finding new ways to recycle. 
plastic bottles into more plastic bottles. So that is something that's happening. Um, it's just very unusual at this point. Hmm. So, you know, maybe we'll get more recycling technology as uh, we need to find something to do with all these recycled scrap materials. But so so just, just to put a finer point on it, like let's say that I bought um, – you know, a plastic uh, bookshelf or a milk crate or something, right? Yeah. And then I go ahead and I recycle that. Can I recycle that? Ah, uh, well, it depends on how it's been put together and all that right, stuff. But, but, let, but let's yes, say it's you, just plastic, you, and then I recycle it, and then will that be made you, into the same sort of pellets, you, or will that yes, be made into could, a lower grade pellet? Ah, uh, you. From my understanding, you would be able to turn it back into those pellets. But okay. it's kind of like it's it's kind of a bizarre process because it's like I have this chocolate cake here. Mm-hmm. Can you turn it back into the sugar and the baking powder and all the, and the flour? No, because entropy. Right. So it's it's not. It's it's like if you can stir the milk into the tea, you can't go back the other way and get the milk out exactly. of the tea. Exactly. And so it's actually a very difficult. I hope that's entropy. I'm going to look really stupid otherwise. It's a very difficult process. Yeah. We'll look that up afterwards. Okay, no, but so and so that's where it is. Um, you do have this down cycling, but it only goes so far. Right. So you're not you're not uh, going to be able to. That's a fun way to think. About. I wonder if we'll be able to. That's the next step. We can turn cakes into constituent. Well, and so that's where. <laughs> wouldn't you like that? No. So and that's hmm. where there is a lot of research going into this right now hmm. uh, to try to find ways to to turn plastics and. Uh, I hope plastics. that they're, that we're like wow, because because to me like that they're burning plastics in China. You know, it's like yeah, that's what. About right. Sounds right. But like I hope that in even 10 or 20 years we're like, wow, that was so antiquated when so obviously the right answer is this new technology that we've developed. Yeah. Well, they're working on different types of bacteria to actually eat plastic. Oh, there's, That's there's a lot great. Of, That's yeah, exciting. There's a lot of different things going on. So Throwing bacteria labor at it. Back to shoes. Yes. Actually, speaking of bacteria. Oh. Yeah, right? Oh, shoes isn't have, that fungus? Yeah, fungus I don't bacteria? know. Nah, anyway, so basically what's been going on is that Adidas came out last month and said that it has committed to using only recycled plastic by 2024. So actually in 2016, Adidas launched the first mass-produced running shoe made from recycled water bottles. Um, and they had a target of $5 million in sales of recycled footwear this year and um, $11 million. Uh, target for 2019, hmm. and they're only increasing this as they're looking to use all recycled plastics for their materials. And they're not the only ones to be doing this. So uh, clothing brands like Patagonia and H&M already use a lot of recycled polyester in certain items. Um, and, you know, in one way you can say, oh, look how sustainably friendly we are, like we're doing this really good thing. On the other hand, it's also a little bit of this is a lot cheaper, and these materials have gotten way, way cheaper. So it's actually really effective and economically effective for them to start using recycled plastics in shoes, in clothing, in all sorts of other materials. Mm. And so as the price drops, I wouldn't be surprised if we see other companies following Adidas' suit. Footsteps, I thought you were going to say. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say shit? Yeah. I should have said footsteps. Yes, it was <laughs> the prime. Uh, Seems pretty word. obvious. To yeah. Me. Okay. Well, I was thinking about other things. I was thinking about suits. Can you recycle suits? Um, you can put plastic in them. Great. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that that. Wow. Does... So it, no, it it really is fascinating. I mean, this one because you're really talking about one change um, that China's making, and and they can make it. Like they can just go like, hey, you know what? We're not. 
going to take other com- uh, countries' trash anymore, and, and, and that's it. And the way the rest of the world is going to shift around that is really interesting right, to watch. Right. And so this is sort of, yeah, China as a command economy can kind of just say this is what we're doing and we're going with it. Um, mm. But it's it's kind of reversing decades of established precedent. So it's definitely a huge shift. and. Yeah. A lot of companies right now, and countries specifically, UK, a lot of Europe, um, US, are scrambling to keep up. Well, yeah, but but hopefully, you know, I'm I'm optimistic because I think that this will hopefully encourage people to come up with technological solutions, things that are a bit cleaner. And frankly, you know, if I was running China, I wouldn't necessarily say you can't bring any uh, foreign garbage in. Although that does sound like a you know good campaign slogan, I would say that. You have to come somehow factor in the externality, factor in the fact that, you know, people are going to die, that that people are going to lose a year of education, that, you know, young Alex Rosenberg is going to encounter smog as he walks through Beijing. Um, you know, and, and like, and, and not to be glib about it, but like if those costs are factored in, then the decisions that are made are like, then capitalism works, you know, mm-hmm. is, is my basic theory. And actually getting back to what we alluded to in the beginning about the word scrap, um, China not really having a word mm-hmm. for the word scrap, um, scrap and trash are the same thing. Okay. And so the campaign... Well, well isn't that like crisis and opportunity? Oh, what? <laughs> Don't you know how they say the same... Oh, it's the same word? Chinese no, character. okay. So, so in China, because uh, scrap, trash, it's all the same thing, this campaign against foreign trash uh, is very alluring, whereas mm. a campaign against scrap and recycling isn't as alluring yeah. as you would think. So, yeah, bringing it all full circle. Yeah. So, and we had the we have a new mafia because we had the the cheese mafia oh, a couple right, weeks ago, right. and now we have the the trash mafia. Right. Who, who do you think is scarier, by the way, the, the cheese mafia or the trash mafia? Trash mafia, <laughs> definitely. There's no question about that. Well, they have that. the incinerators and the compactors. Yeah, they're way more scared of the trash mafia. Yeah, I, I I was thinking about the cheese mafia recently, or it's just, it's really the cheese cheese illuminati. Yes. we have to be clear about that. The illuminati. Um, I was thinking about them because I have I have all this leftover cheese in my fridge, and I've been like. Trying to sneak it into different dishes, finding out a way to, to add it. Really? So so here's what happened is basically Michelle and I had a party to open up this big bottle of vintage port. Who's you wanna to explain to all the audience who Michelle is? Oh, Michelle is my girlfriend. Okay. Uh, and we so we opened and we asked everyone to bring cheese to eat with a port, right? And because, you know, port and cheese, classic. And but now we actually ended up with so much cheese and now I feel like we're gonna to have to open another bottle of port and then we're gonna have to you know buy more cheese and that's so funny so it's like you never get the ratios quite right you have to keep like adjusting so that people eat the perfect amount of cheese and drink the perfect amount of port yeah there's a there's actually an xkcd comic about this about nachos where you know you never have all the ingredients so whatever you're missing you get more of and then you just kind of it, it he calls it a delicious cycle and you're just constantly eating these nachos okay, but why why port couldn't you just have a cheese party and get rid of all the cheese oh yeah, well, 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 we we like port. You know, we're very we're very into vintage port. We're also, by the way, very into cheese. So it's you know, it all it oh. all kind of it's all in the mix. Keep having it. A love of port and cheese and all things that are delicious. Yeah, and and you know, not to get too cheesy, I guess, but but uh, love love of each other too. You know, we I think a relationship is basically a delicious cycle where you know one person gives and the other person gives more and the other person gives more and it's just kind of a uh, 
goes on like that. Okay, so a cycle of cheese and port and emotions. Yeah, and it, it's just like nachos. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm, the point I'm getting at is that the, the key to a good delicious cycle is that you just keep raising the stakes. Like you open a good port and so you bring really good cheese and you're eating really good cheese. Then you have to have a really, really good port and then really, really, really good cheese. And you just, you know, it, it, it becomes a, a very high level experience as it were. So where are you going with this? Michelle, will you marry me? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.